0: We have been going through the earthly life and ministry of Jesus and he's getting closer and closer to Jerusalem before Passover. And Jesus continues to perform signs and wonders and miracles like raising the dead, healing. He continues to teach and As he's getting closer to Jerusalem, one of the things he's going to teach on is prayer. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't have a seminar on prayer. He teaches here. He teaches later. He teaches a little later. and He continues to teach on prayer throughout. Early on in his ministry, his disciples said, well, you know, John taught his disciples how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And instead of going into long, lengthy doctrinal assertions as prayer, he gave them a sample prayer. One that I think that we tend to repeat because we think that's the prayer. I think that while it's an excellent prayer, it is a good outline how to pray about praising God, about acknowledging who He is, that we request daily provision, that we seek his kingdom first, that we forgive others as we want to be forgiven and throughout. And so it's a good outline. of But Jesus doesn't spend a seminar on prayer. He teaches throughout. Now, I think, and notice I said I think, you can have a different opinion, that's okay, is that the reason Jesus does this is that As we get to know God better, our prayers are different. It's kind of like meeting somebody for the first time. If you are an introvert, you're not quite sure what to talk about, so you're kind of uncomfortable. And when you first kind of meet God, you don't know how to have a conversation with him. And those of you who are extrovert, you tend to talk about yourself so much you don't know what the other person thinks. you've just told them all kinds of stuff about yourself and we tend to do that with God in prayer we tend to tell him all kinds of stuff about ourselves and what we want him to do and little expectation of him to reply back so Jesus is going to in this continuity of teaching on prayer to give a couple of parables and it tells us why and so in Luke chapter 18 Starting with verse 1, it says, Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So the purpose of this parable is to teach his disciples to pray. And when you pray, not to lose heart. So he has a double purpose of teaching these two things. And I think, again... He's teaching us, again, that we ought to pray and not lose heart. So he's saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, Yet, because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Notice that the judge is not that concerned about whether her case is valid, whether she's entitled to legal protection or not. It's that I'm tired of her keep coming and bothering me. Therefore, I'm going to give her what she wants. Because she keeps on keeping on. Now, I could get in trouble, so I won't. But there are a lot of people who like to use this tactic to get what they want. But that's for another time. And so, the judge says, okay, I'm going to give it to her because she's just wearing me out. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. So Jesus tells them that here's the key, that we should be persistent in our prayer. But he's not comparing God to the unrighteous judge. He's saying, if the unrighteous judge who doesn't care about man nor God is worn out, can you imagine God, your father, who loves you? If you continue to come to him day and night, will he not give you things? Now, here's a little secret on prayer. Some people think that there are two answers to prayer. Yes, no. There's a third. Yes, no, and not now. I'll give you two examples. One, God told Abram that he was going to give him the land and that as far as he could see and as far as he could walk, that would be the land that God was going to give to him. But he said, the sin and iniquity of the inhabitants at that time, and not fully run its course. So you see, God is just even in his judgment. And so he says, I'm going to give you this land, but it would be unfair to the inhabitants to give it to you now because they have not sinned fully. There's another example that comes even closer to this particular parable and we find it in Revelation, Revelation um, chapter 6, and it says this. And when the lamb broke, and this is verse 7, the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, an ashen horse who sat on it, had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and the famine and pestilence, and by the wild beast of the fist. And when the lamb broke the fist seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. These are the martyrs. These people suffered for the cause of Christ. They died for his cause. They were martyred. And so he says, I see them, and they're underneath the altar. That's the place where the prayers of the saints are contained. And so it says, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So they're asking for justice. They're asking for retribution. They're asking for judgment. They said, God, we suffered at the hands of these people. We weren't criminals. We were declaring your word. How long are you going to wait for judgment? And there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. So you see, God is not saying, I'm not going to give you justice. I'm not going to avenge your blood. But there is a number of people who must also do that. you got to wait for them. So the answer for God is, yes, I will... Give you justice. Yes, I will avenge you, but not now. Because there are others. Just as there are others who needed to continue sitting, there are others who will be martyred for the name of Christ. So sometimes we need to be persistent. Because the answer is not no. The answer is not now. And let's face it, if you really, 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 really want something, you just ask once. As a child, when you wanted something, did you just ask your parents once? Or if you got smart, you asked your grandparents for it, because they were more likely to give it to you. And and our grandkids know it, because all they got to do is ask grandma, and she's out the door getting it for them if she can't get it online. And so it's those types of things. But we want something. We ask for it and ask for it and ask for it. And if you don't ask for it numerous times, maybe you just don't really want it that much. So Jesus is saying, be persistent in your prayers. Understand that God may not be saying no. He may be saying not. And maybe the purpose of the delay is not only for God to complete something that is part of his plan, or maybe it's because it's time for you to listen and stop talking. For you see, prayer is more than telling God what he needs to do. It is listening to God for what he wants. May your kingdom Then Jesus asked a question. However, when the Son of Man comes, we find faith on the earth. Now, if you look at the commentaries, they kind of slough this off. Some of them will simply say, oh, yes, his, the natural answer is yes. I'm not so sure. I think, yes, he will find faith down the earth when he comes, but probably not as widespread as we might have once thought. Because, in my humble opinion about some of the teaching on the second coming, there will be those who will be so discouraged that they will have lost faith. And that is why I say, make sure your strength, your faith is strong enough to even overcome a wrong decision on theology. And so will he find faith on the earth? I just hope he finds it more expansive. But then again, why would he ask the question? So well, I'll let you wrestle with that one. Verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So he's teaching again on prayer, but he's zeroing it in on not only those who are there, but he's zeroing it in on those who are self-righteous. And unfortunately in church, and even out of church, there are plenty of people who are self-righteous. You'll find people in church who are self-righteous, and they are what we call... Pitchfork Baptist or pitchfork believers. When the pastor says something, they go, that belongs to that person, that goes to that person, that goes to this person, never looking at what it is that their lives need to be changed. And then there are the self-righteous out of church who say, we don't need church. We don't need to worship God because I'm plenty good enough that I will stack up my righteousness, my goodness, with anybody else. So yeah, you can go to church because you might need that. You might need that crutch. But I'm self-sufficient. So those, he said, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now again, you remember, the Pharisees are not only the religious leaders, they are the trendsetters of the religious leaders. If they do something, then it ought to be holy. If they do something, that's what we need to copy. They are the guys to look at and, and pay attention to and to follow as example. And the tax collector, he's just the opposite. No one, not only do they not like him, they hate him. Because number one, nobody likes tax collector. I don't care whether you are a 21st century resident or a 1st century resident. I knew a tax collector. He said when he went to a party, he never told anybody what he did for a living, because early on he did, and everybody left. They would never talk to him. In this age, not only did they not like the tax collector because he collected taxes, and usually in this situation, he was allowed to collect a stated amount that Rome wanted and anything above and beyond that, he got to keep. So he overcharged. And on top of that, because he was participating with Rome, he was viewed as a traitor. So they hated him. They were sinners. So we got the extreme righteous person and the extreme sinner both going to the temple. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Now, when you first look at this, you might think, well, what he's doing is he's praying silently. He's praying to himself. I don't think so. Because of how the tax collector prays. I think he's praying to himself because God ain't listening. He's just talking to He's praying to himself. After all, he's... but so notice what he says. So the Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. God, I thank you. Notice how many eyes are here. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, more than the law requires. I pay tithes. Of all that I get, notice all the I. Notice all of the I'm so wonderful, I do this, I do that. I'm an outstanding outstanding example of righteousness. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's why I think he's praying out loud, because the tax collector is hearing, here's this guy talking, and I don't tithe, I don't fast, I don't do all those things like this guy does. I'm the sinner here. I'm not just a sinner, I'm the sinner. I'm the guy. Heating his breast, God, be merciful to me, thus sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the tax collector humbles himself. He acknowledged that he's a sinner, not only a sinner, the sinner. He didn't compare himself. To what the righteous person did. He said, God, I'm the sinner. The Pharisee, I'm a righteous guy. I'm outstanding. I'm wonderful. I'm an example. The Pharisee exalted himself. The textbook humbled himself. Now the interesting thing here is one of the greatest sins God hates. That's an abomination to God is pride. As the scripture says, pride goes before the fall. And if anything, this Pharisee, in all of his statements of how wonderful he is, committed the sin of pride and did not humble himself. And Jesus says, He, because he exalted himself, was not responded to. But the tax collector, who humbles himself, was justified before God. Now, we Christians have a tendency to admire the sinner. Because they have such a great testimony. We will hear about somebody who will come to the Lord, but before they came to the Lord, they were involved in whatever sins or whatever that, whether it be drugs or you name it. And they said, and they'll talk about how their life was before and how God uh, changed it. But in their testimony, it's almost like they regret leaving that life because it glorified. And we're going, oh, isn't God wonderful that he saved that person out of that sin into this life? But the young person whose parents were Christian, who raised him or her to trust God to pray to attend not only worship but participate Who didn't do a whole lot of bad stuff. But followed God all of their lives. And they have a tendency to feel that their testimony isn't all that valuable. And if you're one of those people, let me tell you that an ex-nothing is a wonderful testimony. But even an ex-nothing is a sin. Now, you know I use scent as chocolate and broccoli because I don't want to talk about specific sins or whatever. But even if you are an X-nothing, broccoli and chocolate always come at you. And there are times that either broccoli or chocolate or both get you but even if you avoid temptation the situation is this the scripture says there is no one good but god so even next next nothing does not merit entry into the kingdom of god it is because of god's mercy and when a person truly understands who god is and what their relationship to him it doesn't matter whether you are text nothing or not. You still beat your chest and say, God, be merciful to me. Thus sinner." No one gains entry to the kingdom of God on their own merit. No matter what you've done or not, you gain entry to the kingdom his merit, and his righteousness, and his sacrifice, and his shedding of his blood, and his resurrection, and your acknowledgement that you need him. So prayer. God has given us through Jesus a sample way to pray. He's also told us what we should be doing in the method of praying, in that we should be persistent. And he also teaches us that we also need to be humble in our prayer. There was a pastor who gave a a sermon, and it caused me to laugh because he was saying about Prayer, and he goes. Well, I know so many of you, and there were thousands of people at this event. He goes. I know most of you out there are anointed, and God hears your prayer, and He answers right away. And and you're just whatever. He goes, but not me. I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and eventually, God answers, or maybe he delays. Or maybe he says, no. We need to not be discouraged in our prayer. I've shared on a couple of occasions to others that I'm praying for something. And God doesn't change the situation. So I ask myself, is it that God doesn't change the situation because he needs to change me. So these are the types of things we need in our prayer life to experience and to explore. God, I think I'm asking for something that's reasonable. I'm asking for something that I think ultimately will benefit your kingdom. Why aren't you hearing me? The answer is maybe you need to be persistent or maybe you need to be changed. And maybe it's yes, but not now. Don't give up. Pray. The last thing I want to say about prayer before we close. I said this several years ago and somebody misinterpreted it, so I'm going to say it again because I still believe it's true. But the great thing about prayer is this person who came up to me after the service and didn't like what I had to say, the following week came and said, you know, I prayed about it and God revealed to me what you meant. So at least I'm encouraged that he actually prayed. But uh, here is here is my statement. There is no power in prayer. Power in God. All too often we look to give prayer to glory. The glory goes to God, because it is God who hears. It is God who responds. It is not prayer. That is like saying, I'm going to take my cell phone and stick it into the to the charging plug and saying isn't my charging plug wonderful it's so marvelous but unless you take the other end and stick it in the power source it does you no good it will not charge your cell phone and you can say how wonderful prayer is and unless you plug it into God it does you no good. Power comes from God. It does not come from prayer. Prayer is the medium to get God to hear our concerns and to respond to us. But it is God who answers. It is God who delivers. It is not prayer. So when God responds to your request, give God the glory not how wonderful prayer is. Prayer is a good thing. Is it a means of communication? But we pray to God. And He responds. And so when you hear somebody talk about how powerful prayer is, I want you to make a mental note and say, no, it's God who's powerful. Prayer just gives me the action. It just allows me to recharge my battery. It allows me to go on another day. It allows me to hear God. But it's not the source of power. It's the means. And finally, when we pray, persistence. We need to be humble. Not a false sense of humility. I don't deserve an answer. That's not humility. That's having a wrong view of yourself. Humble is, I know who I am. And I'm praying to my father. And I'm his child. And he loves me. And he would give me all manners of good things. And maybe the reason he does not give it to me now is that it's not now, it's later. Or maybe it's something that will not do me benefit. I'm always asking to become wealthy. By the world standards I am. It's not by my standards. But maybe by becoming wealthy. I'll become independent of God, which would be very detrimental to me. Pray persistently. Pray with humility. Pray understanding that God is not like the unrighteous judge who has to be worn out. God is there because he's your Father and loves you. And all God's people.